Welcome to The Key to Carowin, a work of original fiction by Wendy Fair. Key to Carowin is narrated by Mason Fair. The Key to Carowin, Chapter 10, Contagion. The blasted shadows, I could not abide them. I never could manage them. Hardly able to even see them in this dim twilight you call day let alone at night when all of them fold into one another and into the nothingness of this lightless world. Like rodents scampering over my feet in the dark, never knowing what they would do or where they would go, the bane of my existence here. They clambered and disheveled, they bumped and twisted, they slithered and smelled fusty. Their voiceless mutterings were far too loud and obtrusive, and I couldn't help but feel they were doing it on purpose. The woman noticed them, and so did the girl. The man was never there and had given no indication of awareness during the occasional times he was present. The boy had seen them, perhaps even heard them, but he pretended not to. He also pretended not to be afraid. Per ignorantiam pacem. I despise them, these anti-light creatures. I hate not knowing what they are about, like walking across a floor, crawling with cockroaches, and trying to keep one's feet. I do my best to ignore them. Still they persist, and insects whine, drowning out rational thought, Cataracts describing a world without color, without form. What on earth could they possibly do in their non-existent state anyway? And that solitary thought, that one misconception, was to be my undoing. If only I could see the future. Time was a dead calm on a languid sea. I waited for an opportunity. I watched the girl. I made note of the woman. I monitored the infant. I ignored the boy. He would follow his course naturally with or without my help. I did nothing about the man. He too had already set his course and needed no assistance from me to get where he was intent on going. The days passed for the girl. A circuitous ride on a bicycle. A twisting swing hanging from a tree branch. Toys placed outside with bits of grass for their meals and sticks for their lodgings. The dog endlessly retrieving a ball. A walk in the park or through the buildings surrounding it. The library and a book scribbling and the constant playing with the infant. Ever they were together. And always she was there, with the girl, with the infant, watching, comforting, talking, about everything, about nothing, telling secrets that posed as stories, telling things that should never be spoken in this world telling things no human nor shadow should know. And still the girl did not see me, did not blanch when I passed, 
did not bolt at the sound of my steps, did not even look up. Insulting, offensive, rude. The infant did. He cried in my wake. I did that often. It wearied the woman. It frustrated the boy. It caused the man to leave if ever he were present. It concerned the girl. It amused me. But she would come with her constant ministrations and the calm surrounding her and the crying would cease and in her wake all would be peace. I hated that. Hated her undoing all my work. One day the girl watched as the infant cried. It was put in the perambulator and rocked by the woman's hand. The thing quieted and the woman went to lie down. I was about to stir the infant again, but she was there, appearing in all her abruptness and rocking the infant where it lay. The girl watched. The carriage rocked. She sang quietly. The boy walked by. What are you doing? He asked in a whisper that was more of a bellow. A distrustful glance at the boy. I'm watching Aeoli rock the baby to keep him quiet, the girl mumbled. Right. The boy looked at the perambulator. The rocking was obvious even to me. The boy was silent for a time as he watched. He bent lower and peered closer. Longer. He straightened. Just the movement from the baby breathing. He scoffed with a wave of his hand. He hurried past the girl and up the steps without a backward glance. The girl sat watching, listening. The long, hot days cooled into an unimaginative rain. One day, the girl was woken and told to dress. She was fed a hurried breakfast and taken down the street, where the woman discharged her to the care of a teacher. The days became a regimen of wakings, lectures, coursework, and the routine moved on apace. I grew impatient. I watched the days unfold one by one, tediously. The dull crunch of leaves, the pedantic petrichor hanging low, pressing down to weary human souls. Shortly, there were odd clothes, bones on patios, candles in windows, chanting at doors. Then came the bite of the wind, the sting of the flurries whirling down on people from an ill-tempered sky, the permeating bitterness of cold and gray and dim, and an opportunity. The boy coughed. My time had come. I ensured that the cough was ignored by the woman, keeping her busy with outbursts from the infant. The cough became a chill. The chill became a fever. The fever turned into unrelenting vomiting. Foul, disagreeable, and yet gratifying. It did rankle me that I was put in such a position as to use such an offensive and undignified tool as this. 
but what choice had they left me? I consoled myself with the comfort that progress brings. I moved on to the girl next. She languished in her bed, pallid with pathetic dried-up gags, ardent fits of coughing. Hot as Hades, they said. What would they know of such things? Vile-smelling potions given. Smelling of disease and rot. Smelling of things unclean. Medicine. Impotent. No restoring strength existed here in this pallid world and certainly would never be found in those things that ought not to have been pulled from a world infused with suffering and decay. These things could not heal. A fitful sleep that stretched through one night and then the next, and then to the infant in the night. A feeble sneeze drew the shadows closer to the meager thing. They scurried and bustled back and forth, tugging at the woman, waking her from an exhausted sleep, drawing her to the crib. Oh no, she breathed and clutched the baby to her. It stopped eating first, then the vomiting, a nauseous remittance, recompense. A hurried drive, a man named Doctor. Questions, frowns, a shaking of a head, then needles driving in, meant to protect, but by my design injecting only more of the same ailment. My ingenuity at work. The night brings feeble retching, a weak cry, a cough not loud enough to wake a mouse and the infant's breathing slows. A frantic drive to a building large enough to be reassuring but containing only more people named Doctor, obtrusive machines, and smells of things no human ought to know about. Bright lights that do nothing to drive off the shadows that continue to stalk the infant. Finally, the infant in a still dark room, electronic beeping, the hissing of machines, muted conversations. My work here is almost done. I go back to check on the girl. I can't afford to lose track of her. What would happen if she succumbed? I wonder, I contemplate, I consider. Not just yet. I think. She's there, consoling and comforting in this darkness. They took the baby to the hospital. He's sick. I know, she replied, a voice like thick fog. We had to stay home because we're still sick. Yes. I'm scared. Don't worry, your brother is just in his room and I will stay with you. Can't you help? Can't you take the baby home? Bring him back to Kerwin where the good king can look after him. The door is sealed. I cannot open it. I cannot go back. But the servant girl could. You said so. Perhaps. But even if she could, I don't know how it would work. Then we need a key. We can find the door and the key and make it open. 
I'm sorry, a sorrowful shaking of the head. I don't recall where the door is, not from this side of it, and if such a key exists, I do not know where it would be. We can use the map. We'll look for it tomorrow. People are always saying things like that, as though you have any control of any of your tomorrows. As though you own them, or are due a particular number of them. Utter nonsense. No one can add a single minute to their lives, and even me, me, of all creatures, cannot change the number of my days here, much less your sort. It vexes me, though, the way you waste the immutable days given to you. I hate your lack of will, your lack of self-determination. Weak and ineffectual, you are dragged, pushed, tumbled along through the restless currents of blind action and consequence tossed from one day to the next, from one created crisis to another. Never seeing it was you who charted the course you stumble along. You who are the butterfly wings of your own life. Daily you toil, seeking food, shelter, sleep, all consuming vast amounts of time. A most precious commodity, wasted on the banal and most base of endeavors, with never a lasting result to show for your efforts. You sabotage your work and your efforts, then blame fate or destiny, or worse, you blame luck, as though any of those things exist. It is you who determines what you become. And yet for all this, for all the authority and power given to you over your lives, you are not capable of accomplishing anything, much as you claim the opposite. Billions of humans over thousands of years will not accomplish a single task. And yet a single human in a single moment can destroy itself and all those around it. What have you to say for yourselves? No, the girl would not determine her tomorrow, and even though I could not see what the girl's tomorrow would bring, I could certainly do my best to ensure what it would not bring. And the flow of time cannot be stopped, but even the strongest of currents can be altered. Listening to Key to Carowin, a work of original fiction by Wendy Fair. Key to Carowin was narrated by Mason Fair, with original music provided by Serena Fair. For more information about this and other projects, please visit shifterspress.ca. Thank you for listening.